0: Evolutionary.org, hardcore podcast coming your way. This is number 118, 118. This time we're going to talk about Clev- Kevin Le- LeBron. Uh, Kevin LeBron, he's a bodybuilder, guys. Um, one of the most consistent bodybuilders, kind of like um, the Phil Mic- Mickelson of, um, of bodybuilding. He never won the Mr. Olympia, but my gosh, he came so close. Uh, he was second best a couple times. We'll get into that in a little bit. So he competed um, 5'10", 250 pounds, and he had a 60-inch chest, 29-inch waist, and 20-inch calf. So he was a beast. And I got my pal here, the mobster, in the house, and he's going to kind of get into uh, a little bit of Kevin LaVroni's history. But first, let me tell you that he was born in 1964. And I'll tell you, he's still in great shape for his age. He's one of the guys who – Left bodybuilding, had some setbacks, and then made some comebacks. So one of the guys that, um, you know, they don't quit. He's one of those guys, they they don't have quit in their vocabulary. So um, he actually made a comeback in 2016 as an older guy. And he finished 16th place at the Mr. Olympia. And that was when he was in his early 50s. So Mr. Olympia is dominated by guys, mid-30s, late-30s. Early 40s, but it's unheard of to have someone in the early 50s place in the top 20 at Mr. Olympia. And as we said on our last podcast, his nickname, the Maryland Muscle Machine, and that is because he was from Baltimore. So, yeah, I
1: mean, he's a Hall of Fame honoree up there with uh, Ronnie Coleman, uh, Flex Wheeler, Sean Ray, and, and uh, Dorian Yates, uh, and all the other Mr. Olympias. But he's an all of Fame honoree because of his uh, place in uh, Arnold Classic winner. And as you say, a couple of times, uh, very, very, very close to winning. He's one of those guys that people say he, he should have won at least one Mr. Olympia. And his uh, shoulder development and frontmost muscular. Uh, the way that he did that particular pose, it was it made it all his own. Uh, it's one of those things where you go, "How is this guy not winning? How is he not? How is he not kicking ass?" So yeah, for sure. Um, you, you just mentioned something. I'll say that he strikes me as a guy that's going to live forever uh, in terms of going to the gym or whatever else. Hopefully, like the rest of us, we're going to keep doing this stuff until until we can't do it. And I think even with the comeback, I think now that he's tried the business with the the, uh, acting. He actually had a couple of very small parts in in a couple of TV shows and some films. Uh, We've all seen the photographs of him uh, after retiring from at the first time, should I say, after retiring the first time, he looked like a a, a male model. He was kind of light and and 140, 150, 160 maybe. He he didn't have that muscle and it's like, you know, did this guy ever lift or whatever else? Uh, But now, Especially with the post fifty comeback that uh, Steve just mentioned, I think he's going to be in the gym forever. He's going to just carry on training. This is where he needs to be. It's good for good for his reputation and and good for business because he, he now owns a supplement company. Uh, I believe it's Kevin Leveron's Signature Series, something like that, and travels the well. world. Is that is I think Steve's mentioned this with a couple of the other guys that we've uh, covered. He's way more active now in these years with his uh, social media. He does a lot more interviews than he ever did in the past, even when the stuff was first starting to become available. He's a lot more open. And in fact, I think Stephen, I can probably agree on this 100%. Here's a guy that's telling you as it is telling you as it used to be and comes across really well. But don't you think so, Steve, in terms of how he's given across this information and everything else that we've seen recently, the last couple of years?
0: Of all, of all the guys that we've done so far, I haven't seen anyone with this much of a social media following. So yes, he's very, very good at that. He's got over a million Instagram followers. Yeah. And I'm going to say as
1: much American as international. So a lot of the guys, it's a, it's a big focus, maybe here in, in, in the UK, some parts of Europe, but I think, uh, Kevin's actually got a big Russian and, and Eastern Europe uh, following as much as he has anywhere else. So it's probably a really, really good mix of people. And he's, I would say he's probably, <laughs> he's probably putting 100,000 miles a year on, on his uh, air miles because um, just looking at what he's done, he seems to be all over the place. You know, it'd be India, i just looked at uh, interviews from Dubai, Russia for sure, Eastern Europe, going over there, doing seminars in front of five, six hundred, maybe a thousand people. So um, he, he's, he's great for sitting down even with the translators and, and working the audience. People like him, he comes across really well. So uh, it, it's great for business, as I said.
0: Yeah, yeah. And he's, what's amazing too, is he's, yeah. got, he's got musical talents. He can play piano. He's very- I've, the way I've
1: got his CD that they gave away with Flex Magazine. You just mentioned it. I've actually got that upstairs. God help me. And yeah, he, he actually was in a band and it's not, it's not that bad. Not number, you know, I, not, I don't think it was ever going to be a chart thing or whatever, but he sings well, he passionately, uh, and the band were quite good. So, yeah, I think the Flex magazine gave that away. And I've actually got, God help me with my collection of bodybuilding paraphernalia and whatever else that I've got upstairs. I've actually got the CD that they gave away with their magazine. So, yeah, for sure.
0: What's so it's amazing about him, I think it has a lot to do with his upbringing. He grew up in a very rough part of the United States in, in Baltimore. Baltimore is one of the more rough cities. He lost his father at a very young age to cancer. His father was Italian. His mother was African-American and he had five siblings. So, you know, that took a lot of toll on him. That's a lot of pressure. So the way he turned that negative into a positive was weight training. Yeah. And that kind of got him away from it. He also watched his cousin, his, he's big on the, the military, on his, uh, if you look at his social media, he's big on the military. And a big reason for that is his family. He's got family in the military. So his family being in the military kind of motivated him because he watched his family members go from you know bad areas. They got the opportunity to be in the military, to travel the world, to get into shape, to be disciplined. And that kind of got him motivated. And that kind of gave him um, a role model to break away from that negativity that he was surrounded by as a child. So he, you know what, he started obsessing over nutrition at a young age. He didn't want to die young and he wanted to outdo his relatives who were in the military. So he, that motivated him to do it. So, you know, right off the bat um, in his early twenties, he got his professional career going. He won the MPC show. Mid-20s, 1991, uh, he won the Grand Prix in Germany. He won the Night of Champions. And then he was um, predicted by many to end up being a Mr. Olympia one day. He had the genetics, he had the intelligence, he had it all. And then he got in second place in 1992 to your pal, mobster, Dorian Yates. It might be so, we've have we, have we? We've done Dorian Yates yeah, already, right? Previous podcast. I yeah. um,
1: think I've done the story about his uh, wife. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. He, so, uh, if you guys said- want to check out Dorian Yates, who Kevin Lebron could not be, you can go back and listen to the one we did on Dorian Yates. I can't even keep track of all the guys we've done so far. We've done so many.
1: Quick, quick one for you, Steve. In fact, during one of the research, as usual, for all these podcasts that uh, uh, Kevin talks about, how uh, everybody that was winning the Mr. Olympia that time tended to be somewhere between 20 and, uh, to to quote him, uh, with Ronnie, up to 60 pounds heavier. We're talking about in a couple of interviews how heavy he was on stage. And I believe he said that when uh, Dorian won the Mr. Olympia and uh, Kevin was uh, trying his best to be up there in the top two, top three, Kevin was talking about 227. You know just from the photographs that we've seen how kevin looks is something else compared to what he actually weighed and at his heaviest which was uh, with advice from Dave palumbo who's 257 but most of his career is only around two, two, 230 235 maybe 237 pounds at the height obviously helps and we'll get into the genetics in a minute but in turn he looked so much bigger so it shows you just how visual that stuff is but then you come up against dorian and dorian's like 20 30 pounds heavier with similar condition and, and a two or three good poses of his own, you know, on his own, Kevin would have probably won, but when you then put him in comparison and just, just got a much bigger, as muscular fella standing next to you, it's, it's game over, unfortunately. But uh, if Dorian and Adam competed, I'd have given Kevin a win, at least one win, for sure. Steve.
0: Yeah, and we're gonna kind of get into Mr. Olympia in a second, but before we do, um, after that Mr. Olympia he suffered a major injury to his chest and you know chest injuries are very very common in guys because what ends up happening is you have two options when you're bench pressing if you're if you're pushing that heavy weight you can either blow out your shoulder which I did I didn't even know I did it you know shoulder injuries are very, very tricky. Or in his case, you blow out your pec. So he was benching supposedly 580 pounds, which I don't know if that's true. A lot of people like to embellish, but 580 pounds is a lot of weight. I mean, I've, I've never seen someone in person bench that much weight. And I've worked out with some strong guys. I've seen guys bench like five, 505, 510, but 580? If something goes wrong when you're benching that much weight, you know, you're screwed. I mean, you're you're screwed. Yeah. You better have a good spotter there to, to yeah. get that bar off of your chest if something goes wrong like that, where you tear something. So, I mean, have you ever seen that?
1: Funny enough, I know guys that can bench board an, uh, 580, but I haven't actually seen it myself. He's the same person. In the gym, yeah, 500 plus. Uh, uh, Lawrence Charley, World's Strongest Man competitor, Big Loz, as he's called on, on, on YouTube now, doing 220. Um, myself never got up to that level. My my closest was a couple of attempts with 200 uh, kilos, 440 pounds. But no, regularly, no. It's very, very seen- rare. And certainly, Kevin was a very strong guy, for sure. And just just from the early videos, 500-pound-plus bench-patchers, pitch I've seen on, on those videos. Uh, talks about squatting 600 pounds with uh, Dave Palumbo when they've come up to see him one time. And uh, I, I actually think as good as his bench press was, his overhead press was probably just as good as well. I mean, on one of the same videos when he's doing the 500 seated press on a Smith machine with 400 plus pounds. So yeah, very, very strong upper body. And well, 600 pounds squats so are not to be sniffed there either. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. So he had to get three surgeries to repair it. And then he got an infection. That was, that was the story, but that didn't stop him the very next year he came back. And he won the 1993 Germany Grand Prix, so he was unstoppable. Now, Mr. Olympia is the one that you guys all want to want to hear about because that's the that's the big one. That's that's the Academy Award of bodybuilding. That's the Nobel Prize of medicine. Like that's the number one thing. So, as we mentioned, you know, he he never won it. Um, he competed in more than t- a dozen of them. And after 1992, his second place showing, the very next year he was fifth, then he was third in 94, and then he again in 95 was second to Dorian Yates. Then he dropped to third in 96, fourth in 97, fourth in 98, fourth in 99, and then second in 2000. This time Ronnie Coleman got him. And then in 2001, third, second in 2002, losing the Ronnie Coleman again, by a little bit by a hair, and then sixth in two thousand and three. so my gosh, the consistency and the frustration that he yeah. must have endured <laughs> you know throughout this uh to get so close and fall just short is is phenomenal
1: i'll throw in the very, very quick story that uh, he's, he talks about with Ronnie Coleman. in fact, it's from the uh, the grand the Grand Prix tour, the European Tour, which uh, he's told the story multiple times which is getting uh, Ronnie would literally travel from show to show when the guys were being paid by Weeder, they they go by plane on the tour and Ronnie and Vicky Gates were going by train seven or eight hour train journeys. And he was literally at the back of the pack the whole time. So, you know, if there was 10 or 15 guys on the tour, Ronnie was getting 15th and uh, that particular tour, Kevin was getting first, second, third consistently. So he tells a story about inviting or Ronnie asking to come to his room and Ronnie comes to the room and uh, Kevin's chilled out, so he says you should have a vodka. And I believe it was vodka and coffee was a trick to dry you out. So, you, you, as you know, uh, uh, caffeine is a diuretic and alcohols a diuretic. So they're having shots of those little miniature bottles that you get in your minibar of vodka with a spoonful of coffee. Ronnie's not a drinker. Kevin's doing this great Ronnie Coleman accent saying, come on, have another shot, have another shot. So he has three shots of coffee with vodka. And then Kevin talks about going backstage the next day for the competition and going, what the fuck's happened? And Ronnie had dried the fuck out and started winning. And the combination of that and a story that uh, Flex Wheeler also tells him, how uh, he he pretty much had a similar conversation, except this was about steroids um, and and getting Ronnie into shape. So these two guys together, great fans of each other, big, big pals, even now. And they essentially helped Ronnie Coleman win. So it was the secrets that he was doing, the things that he was doing. But as you say, the consistency. And he actually ended up bringing Ronnie up, as Flex did, and and, and kind of pushed past him. So he's only got himself to blame for for, for Ronnie being in front of him at the Olympics, Olympia, those, those couple of years. Yeah, there you go.
0: Yeah, so I mean, after this, you know, um, 2003, he took a break from it. And then 13 years later, amazingly, 2016, he came back one last time and he got 16 plays, as I mentioned at the beginning. So any, anyone getting in the top 20, you're top 20 in the world, top 20 in the world. That's uh, that's quite quite remarkable that he did that. We've seen that a lot. Mom, sir. We've seen this a lot with some of these guys. We talked about the passion and the the ability to come back after a long time off just to do it one more time um is something that we can all shoot for you know even someone like me who you know power lifted um five you know five ten years ago for five straight years and I've gone away from it now and um it gives me something to shoot for in the next five ten years I don't you know so you don't have to give up on something forever there's always that chance that you'll eventually come back there's something something there's there's a- need- i mean you, you, you've
1: done certain sports and we've got guys on the forum that have run uh you, you've got guy, uh, D- dylan obviously he, he's, his particular aims are different we've got mma guys on the forum so here's the thing guys i'm never going to be as strong as i used to be that that's just a fact of life but if I do decide to compete, I could arguably, and it's not necessarily a thing for me because I was in the open class before. I could say, right, so I'm going to do 50 plus. And as a 50 plus lifter, I'm right up there. There are certain lifts that I'm doing right now, today, yesterday, whatever, that are good for 50 plus. So the thing of it is, I think, and on, on Kevin, Kevin actually says he wished he'd done it six years earlier when he was in his mid-40s. And he would have probably kicked ass. He, he said if he'd probably done it 46, 47, he should have been top five, top six. And arguably, that's possible. We know that the Mr Olympia guys, right now it's just after 30, up to about 40 years of age, when they seem to have developed the muscle maturity, etc. For the rest of us, the members of the forums, for our listeners, change what you do so it might be more reps, it might be a slightly different version of the sport, it might be CrossFit, it might be something else. Aim for that. If you can't can't be a thousand pound squatter like you was when you were younger. You can certainly be a great 50-plus squatter. You can certainly go off and do CrossFit. You can certainly do other things in the gym and in an athletic endeavour that's different. And in that way, you stay hungry. You, 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 you are driven. You're still doing stuff. And that's what keeps you in shape. That's what keeps you fresh. And again, Kevin's a great example of a guy, as I said earlier on at the beginning. But I think he's going to train for life. I think he's going to be one of those guys that's going to inspire us for a long, long time. And, and that's a, a great thing. So, you know, if, if Steve says about powerlifting, there's certainly something else that he can do. Right now, I think our thing for both of us is putting out the information. Uh, but that's not to say that we won't have something on the radar in a couple of years' time to say, "Yes, I want to do something different. I want, I want to, you know, put on a powerlifting competition, for example. Show the young guys what can be still done at my age and so on and so forth. So, yeah, for sure, it, it keeps you hungry. It makes you want to go to the gym. It makes you want to kick ass, and that's what's going to keep you in shape, that drive, that, 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 that fire.
0: There's actually a video, and we'll link it, with him sprinting against uh, yeah. mobster's buddy over there in England, Dwayne Chambers, who was a sprinter. Now, Kevin Lavron didn't beat him in the sprint, but, man, he kept up with him. And if you look at the video, Kevin Lavrone is like this huge jacked bodybuilder. And Dwayne Chambers, he's, he's ripped. He's ripped. Sprinters are ripped, but he's not the size of Kevin LeBron. So I think it would have been amazing. I would have loved to see Kevin LeBron get into football and play linebacker in the NFL at his size, 5'10", 240, 250. With that kind of speed, he would have been a freak at linebacker. So I'm curious why he didn't play football. I think he didn't have the opportunity because playing football growing up is expensive. I couldn't afford to play football. You got to buy the shoulder pads. You got to buy the helmet. I think maybe that that was maybe one of the reasons he wasn't able to do it. But weight training is much cheaper. Anyone can go to a gym and weight train with, or go to a garage and weight train. So I think maybe that played a fact. But it would have been cool to see him play linebacker in the NFL with his with his genetics and size. It would have been pretty pretty sick.
1: Let's uh, talk for a minute just about his genetics here. And then we're going to get into a couple of other things. I, I will touch upon the fact that I I'm I suspect, as Steve addressed right at the beginning of the podcast, it was an interesting route to bodybuilding and it could have gone where he lived, could have gone so badly, could have gone a lot worse and the fact that he was able to turn it into something positive and become a freak of nature uh, and the inspiration that he has is amazing. So that's a real positive uh, part of the story right there. On his genetics, let's be, Steve and I have discussed this already, let's be quite brutal. He agrees, and I mean, uh, Kevin himself, he is a genetic freak. He is described by Dave Palumbo as a hyper responder. He was famous for uh, training for twelve to sixteen weeks, going to the competition, placing where he placed, and then pretty much taking eight, nine, <laughs> eight or nine months off. And you would see photographs of him being a like a lightweight competitor, much less muscular, more athletic and are then blowing the fuck up. And I'll tell you a quick story. Again, this is one of Dave Palumbo's stories, and he is interviewing Kevin and telling the story to, to the audience. He essentially says that he was approached, I believe, by a guy called Scott, who's a mutual friend of his. And Scott says, can you help Kevin get into shape while we win the competition? And he says, this is pre-email, pre-internet, whatever. Some photographs came in the post. That's what it was like. And he says, who is this guy? He looks like he's never trained in his life. How the fuck am I... Gonna get him to win this competition when he looks like he doesn't train? And then at the blue, he gets a phone call from Kevin some weeks later. Can you come down to Maryland? And Dave has to drive. So again, this is not the $90 flights, etc. Drives down to Maryland and a couple of states over and is blown the fuck away by this transformation. And this wasn't, as I said, it happened repeatedly that he would literally take months off after a competition, you would see a, a magazine photograph of a in-between competition, Kevin, and you go, how the hell is he? He was not doing any training, or if he was doing some training, it was incredibly light, maybe jogging or something, and coming off everything. He was probably the first guy that was doing that, but his response to, to the nutrition and to uh, performance-enhancing drugs was unreal. It's like me and you, if I had dropped a hundred pounds, and then you see me weighing 200 pounds and then three months later i'm 300 pounds it's just gonna go how the fuck is this possible and kevin was like that so yeah dave palumbo described him as a hyper responder genetics was right out there most guys and steve and i discussed this already oh it's not the drugs it's not this it's not that no kevin freely admits there's a combination of response to drugs the hyper response and to the stimulus of training the combination of those two things and having arguably and it's maybe why he looks so good now he doesn't look his age he doesn't look he's, he's born in the same year as me he doesn't look 56 he looks 40 at best he comes across really well he has no health issues and apart from that peck issue way back in the day as i'm aware i think the only other one he had in his run-up to his uh, return to the mystery is he had to have some knee operations but apart from that i don't think he's had any other uh, 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 issues and certainly none of the underlying issues that sometimes comes from use of excessive amounts of steroids, etc., to try to become a, a Mr. Olympia contender. So yeah, time off blowing up. That that that's it. genetics, pure genetics, his response both to steroids and to training was unreal. Def, definitely one of those guys that you, you wouldn't believe until you saw with your own eyes how how well he would respond, Steve.
0: I think it's a shame he never won the Mr. Olympia to get the recognition. Of that, but I think it was just one of those situations where he ran into Yates and yeah. he ran into Coleman. Yeah. it was just it, it was just one of those things. They were the, they were the dominant forces um, nope. around that time. So if he, you know, it's just a bad break. But um, you know, possibly we can consider Kevin LeBron, um, you know, the best bodybuilder, most consistent bodybuilder of all oh, time, to not win the Mr. Olympia. I think that we can <laughs> say that, and a lot of people would not argue that.
1: He was actually one of the guys at one point. Although Dexter Jacksons passed both of them, I believe Kevin, and then Ronnie, and then now, and probably forevermore, uh, was one of the guys that had the most competition wins, was the, that competed the most, etc. So it was Kevin that was that had that particular title given to him. Later on, Ronnie became the most winningest, and it's only because Dexter still competes, and Kevin and Ronnie do not that Dex has managed to surpass him in terms of the number of competitions and competition wins and consistency with places. So he was right up there. That's as much for his physique and placing second in Olympia and and the Arnold wins. It's as much for that as anything else that's put him into the, the Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah. So guys, we're going to get into the fun stuff. I know you guys all want to know about the steroid cycle that we speculate he ran, but first let's get into his training. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about his nutrition mobster is the training guru um so mobster kind of get into his training style because his training style was kind of cool yeah i i have to say he owned his own gym at one
1: point and this is uh, you can the videos are all in the internet now of course back in the old days when i first when i was man and a boy um video cassettes and later on dvds and there, you can there were a couple of videos that they were said there on youtube where you can watch him training. And this is all pretty much basic stuff. And in fact, again, one of the interviews is done with Dave Palumbo, they talked about the lack of hammer hammer machines. So we're talking about flat bench. We're talking about uh, a a seated press on a Smith machine, uh, barefoot squatting, deadlifts, rows. Uh, Stephen's article, which we'll link to, talks about varying the training, but it's still relatively uh, low in terms of number of reps. I believe we're talking about six to eight reps, something similar to myself, but with a lot more sets than I would do as a bodybuilder. Uh, Kevin, obviously being a great responder to those particular things. In, in, it's a sort of one of the things which was going to touch on a little bit, but say the training again, um, what we would call basic, certainly compared to now in terms of the variety of machines, even at the gym that I go to now probably has twice the amount of machines just walking around my local gym than, than uh, Kevin had in his particular place. So they'll be out there with the dumbbell rows and all those kind of things. I think that what, what, what would work for us, looking at Kevin, you go, how did he get those shoulders? But like I said, the seated press on a Smith machine with four or five plates aside, side, um, not, not, not overly done on, on if, I, if I remember, Steve, not overly done with the support, not not too much with the elbow uh, sleeves or knee wraps or whatever else. So that, in fact, only came later in his career when he was coming back for the Mystery Olympia because there are training videos of him there working with guys but he's wrapping his knees and wearing a sport belt and, and a weightlifting belt. But uh, the, the early stuff, you've got him just wearing a belt. There's no, no, there's no knee wraps, no wrist wraps, nothing. nothing. So it's all stuff that you and I actually talk about on the forums, not that much support in terms of the actual gear to get him through the training session. And again, we're talking about a guy that will be 180 out of season, 227, 230 on stage. So, Maybe he's not pounding, on, not pounding too, too long and too hard on his joints, et cetera, et cetera, and not using some support stuff. So that's where the the, the lack of support has actually enhanced his ability to respond to training, for sure. Uh, 100% very, very strong guy, people, absolutely strong, and, and, and all the big core lifts. And the videos that I'm thinking of is all very basic, very straightforward, and combined with the nutrition, which we'll touch on in a second, uh, very consistent once he was back in the gym one last thing which just occurs to me in terms of his training and preparation for a competition and he told this story himself as as, as a thing in one of the magazines was he would have the mindset of someone going into battle and the actual story was that at one point perhaps a little bit excessive instead of sleeping on the bed he was sleeping on the floor and he had weapons various guns me being a Brit, we don't have too much of that over here but in america you might do uh, with the guns in, at the gun cabinet or whatever pistols and he would surround himself make like a camp Have the bed set up on the floor with the duvet or whatever folded over and his mindset was going into battle so he'd have these guns around him uh, to, just to get him into that I'm going to kick ass I'm going to take everybody on if anybody comes through the door but using that kind of mentality in training so that he would come out of, you know get up in the morning get off the floor put the guns away and then go to the gym and kick ass he was ready to you know, take anybody on and have that kind of attitude to training. So that probably helps as well. When you're coming through the door, and I've actually done this myself with a hat on, pulled low over my face, with a hood up. Uh, lots of guys do it now. Where you've got the old uh, Hard Rock slip knot, etc on the on the headphones, and you're coming into the gym. You're not talking to no one. You're getting your fucking shit done. No one's gonna disturb you. You're gonna tear this place up. You're gonna make shit happen. And that, plus his response to training was probably what made him into the monster that we would see on stage, Steve.
0: So Kevin LeBron, his diet, when he was younger, his father died of cancer. So that really has, you know, made him really be specific about diet. And he talks about some of his diets where he excludes red meat. And then he talks about some of his diets when he's, uh, bodybuilding when he was bodybuilding that does include um, red meat, but he likes the filet mignons as the ones he likes. He likes a lot of eggs, a lot of egg whites and fish. He talks a lot about fish mm. um, and I don't know if he's being overly you know, facetious when he say, says this, but there's some articles that I've read that says that he eats tons of fish, like six, seven pounds a day of fish. Yeah. Um, So I'm not sure if that's probably a good idea considering, you know, all the mercury and wild fish and all the hormones and farm raised fish and all the plastics in our oceans, but nevertheless, that's what he did. And um, also he, he talks about cheat meals. He, he talks about avoiding cheat meals. So he, he eats a lot of food, but it's clean foods. He doesn't mess with cheat meals. He doesn't believe in junk food. So that's his, that's his kind of, tactic and another thing he doesn't like the whole roller coaster of bulking cutting bulking cutting he likes to be consistent year round so ironically when he was competing at the highest level he was consistent year in and year out so maybe there's some merit to that so maybe there is some merit of not roller coastering your diet up and down so that's possibly you know why he was consistent but it makes sense to me
1: I'm thinking with regards to his training and his nutrition, his genetic response, et cetera. It's one of the few things where he, as you say, with consistency was 100%. Once his mindset was, I'm going to compete, training was 100% and fantastic response. When it came to the food, it was exactly the same again. It was, there's none of these down days, off days, refeed days, et cetera, et cetera. There again, videos on there with I think he had some people preparing his food. This is before meal prep. And on the, the video I'm thinking of of the training video, He's back at his house and there's like some sort of a kind of steak going on and, and broccoli and whatever else. And I think as you said, there was the videos, similar videos. Wasn't he one of the first bodybuilders to talk about? Is it tilapia, that fish? I don't know, orange ruffy, I think it's another name for it.
0: Yeah, tilapia is uh is a typically a farm raised fish from China. It's um very cheap and you can that makes sense if he was eating a lot of tilapia, because it is one of the cheaper fish. It's like a dollar or two a pound,
1: you know. I think it's one of those things where what you see now is quite often, and it makes for more insane in videos and for educational purposes, sometimes with Instagram, et cetera, the guys, are, I'm, having, I'm having a refeed day. People want to know what they're having. And in fact, the, the consistency thing probably helps. It can be incredibly boring. It's a bit tedious. and Maybe you know it's one of those things that's going to drive you crazy if you're a normal guy. But if you want to win the Mr. Olympia, if you want to win the Arnold Classic, you're doing what needs to be done. So, the best example, and I can't think of the guy's name right now, is watching a video the other day. And he says on his refeed days, he just eats more of the things that he's already eating. And I suspect this is like Kevin's approach to nutrition. What works? I can eat this, I can eat this, and I can eat this. And this is going to make me blow the fuck up and make me look like a Mr. Olympia contender. So, that's what I'm going to do. What happens now, with a lot of people kind of the nutrition thing for competition training becomes right, I've got 16 weeks to a competition. If I have this stuff every day, it's gonna drive me fucking crazy. I need to be able to go and have some donuts. I need to be able to go and have some pizza. And then they get to a competition and they wish they hadn't. This was not Kevin's approach. Kevin's approach like, almost like a religious monk-like experience, train like a train like a monster, train, sleep with my guns and, and eat this stuff. But he's only doing it for 12 or 16 weeks. He's, the t- taking the rest of the year off so when it came to competition he was 100% on 100% on in terms of his attitude 100% on in terms of his nutrition and 100% on in terms of his training he probably wasn't a real nice guy to be around if you wanted to go out and socialize or sit there and have a conversation with him but when it came to being uh, uh, those competitions Mr Olympian Arnold you know, Classic he was doing every single thing that needed to be done almost like a religious uh, experience nothing else mattered and it's a good example again for the rest of us in terms of what needs to be done. If you want to win, if you want to be the guy that gets to pick up the first place trophy, and your genetics might not be perfect, these are the other things you could control. What puts you what you put in your mouth, you could control that one hundred percent. You're pretty much down to you how many times you're going to get down the gym, so that's in your control. So what we learn from him says, consistency in nutrition and consistency in training. Even if it was only for a short period of year, is what turned him into the freak that we saw on stage, Steve. All
0: right, guys. So we've got 25 minutes left. Let's talk about his steroid use. So all this ties into his nutrition, his training, all this ties into his steroid use. Because when you work out the way Kevin Lebron works out, you need to be on the sauce, you know, to take advantage of that. When you eat you know, six pounds of fish a day, you gotta be on some some hgh and some insulin and take advantage of that so you know let's talk about first what he used when he was ripping the mr olympia a new ass for all those years in a row getting second third fourth place and then let's talk about what he used for his comeback so um you know let's start his original cycle back in those days you know um Back in those days when he was going up against Yates and Ron and Coleman, that, those were the, that, that was the nineties. That was, if the seventies was the golden age, the nineties was some, you know, was more the, whatever you want to call the silver age, I guess you, you can call it because that was the age where bodybuilding really took off when it came to size and size was what they wanted. So what do you run if you want size? Obviously, you need a lot of androgenic compounds. That's a big switch from the '70s to the '90s. Androgenic compounds. So obviously, he's running right off the bat. Lots of test. Lots of tests, Lots of trend. Yeah. You know, we're talking a gram or more of trend. We're talking a gram or more of test. He's using, um, you know, drying compounds, hardening compounds, the Winstrol, the Anavar. Proviron, maybe, and then uh, Masteron um, before his shows to kind of harden up, and then the Winnie to dry you out. So those are ones he used, and then the insulin and HGH and the DMP. We have to throw that in. That was those were the kings of the '90s. Even Clan guys are messing around with Clan in the '90s a lot more than they than they are today. So I would imagine he could have been running 120, 140, or more of micrograms of clomibuterol every day as a stimulant dmp he was running a couple hundred um, a few or a few hundred milligrams of dmp a day and then when it came to HCH, gosh i mean i would imagine he was running as much HCH as he could possibly get his hands on and then you run the insulin with it you you run the insulin before your meals you're going to eat all that fish you're going to eat all that all that vegetables, all those foods, right? You need to partition that into your muscles. So I would imagine it was a heavy dose of insulin before each one of his meals. He he says he was eating six, seven, eight meals a day, which I believe that's what, that's what these guys do to get that big. So to be able to take advantage of all that food. Now, if everyone sitting at home was to do that right now, they would just get fat. You're not going to be able to take advantage of it, but he's on so much insulin and so much HGH that he can partition all that and it gets sucked into his muscles like a sponge. And he, of course, he has the genetics to be naturally lean already and be naturally more of a responder to all these PEDs. So gosh, I mean, it was chemical warfare. It started in the nineties and it got worse and worse. And I would imagine he tried everything during the nineties. He's like, I gotta be Yates. I gotta be Yates. I gotta be Yates. And it was like, damn it. Okay, Yates is gone. Now I gotta be Coleman. Now I gotta be Coleman. So he's trying everything, man. And I have no doubt that he tried some hefty, hefty dosage. I mean, just probably for sure running at least three, four grams a year a week, not including the insulin, the HGH, the DMP, the clen, and all the other stuff in between. You gotta do it's chemical warfare. What do you think, mobster? You think, you think, uh, <laughs> I'm going to break it down
1: a few things here. First off, with your test infinite and the train that we suggest in the article, 100%, 100% those two things, no, no doubt whatsoever. In one of the things that we've just touched on very quickly is his response. When we talk about bodybuilders having genetics, when we say on the forum, oh, he's got genetics, that's why." this genetic part isn't just a response to training and nutrition, it's a response to gear as well. There are guys out there, and I include myself in this particular regards, I don't take lots of gear, I take a small amount of gear, and I'm as big and as strong as whatever the fuck I am, right? Mm -hmm. So me on one gram or two grams, sometimes it's one of us I wish he was on just to see what the fuck would happen. So Kevin has 100% a good genetic response to, to, to steroid use. So let's, let's not muck around there. That, that, that response is as important as the ability to digest food, especially, as, as Steve said, if he's having six meals a day, and it's as as important as response genetically to adding muscle to his frame. So let's, let's not fuck about. There's a few other things to, to cover here. One of the things, funny enough, that Primo's mentioned, uh, again, this is a, a, an interview that he's done with Dave Palumbo, and he talked, Dave Palumbo has also repeated this in his Ask Dave uh, sections, where he says, it's talking to Kevin about what he was taking at the time, and he says, I actually think that uh, Kevin was taking fake primo, so I put him in touch, meaning he told somebody else, or he told him the name of a person, or whatever, a, a different place to get real primo, and that's almost certainly in the cycle there because of that conversation and switching out the stuff that was not working, the stuff that was working. And of course, we actually talk about these kind of things on a forum again, where we say, guys, and I'm taking this drug and this drug and nothing's happening. You go, listen, something should be happening. Whoever it was that your source was, it's not good or it's low grade, whatever, switch switch to these things. The growth hormone and insulin, I think we can address there 100% again. Um, and I mentioned earlier on in, in, in the brief period of time, that he was working with Dave Palumbo. This was when Dave was just starting to talk about, we, we've done a previous podcast, we've talked about Milos. Both Dave Palumbo and Milos were famous in bodybuilding for being the guys that's kind of introduced uh, growth hormone and insulin to the professional circuit and, uh, and, and seeing the mega guys, you know, 240, 250, 260 on stage. Uh, and Kevin talks about how he was kind of scared. He says... You got me to 257, but I didn't want to do some of the crazy stuff. But he says it was crazy at the time, but they actually agree now, and this is obviously more recent interviews. What was seemed to be crazy then is what everybody's doing now. So even if we argued that he maybe wasn't using 12 IUs back in the day, he would now, if he was competing, he would be doing it for this cycle now. So there's no argument there whatsoever. Finally, in terms of, uh, again, this is a 90s thing, and we've addressed this in previous podcasts with guys on around that time, including Milos, and in fact, Milos was a good example of, or should I say a bad example, because he ended up having uh, issues. There is some rumour to suggest that perhaps on occasion, and maybe it was again towards the end of his career, because of his hyper-response uh, prior to that, that he may have also played around with sight injections, in the same way that Flexweed was supposed to have injected into his calves. Uh, with Escaline and Shaw Ray played the mind game with regards to say, that implants, et cetera, et cetera. This is around that time when site injections, either as a, a, a steroid like Escaline given a temporary effect or a simple. You Looking at Kevin's physique now, I'd probably suggest it was probably more the steroid stuff than it would have been the site injections because he doesn't seem to have any particular lumps and bumps and strange scars tissue or anything else. But there was experimentation around that time, And I've mentioned it earlier in the podcast with when I said about uh, Flex Wheeler giving the advice to Ronnie and Kevin giving the advice to Ronnie that made Ronnie the fantastic bodybuilder that he was these guys were at that time sharing information and helping each other out in a great way they're great buddies now, I've seen interviews where they sit down as a group with Sean Ray included and and, and and telling great stories about each other and what they've done on tour and whatever else so you know, socialising whereas the guys in there don't seem to do that there's only one or two so they were definitely sharing information. They were definitely working. Again, quite a few of them have worked with Chris CEO, Quite a few of them have worked with um, uh, Chad Nichols. And so the information that those guys were getting was being shared. The growth hormone stuff and the insulin stuff that was Milos was doing with his athletes, the other guys were hearing about. So I said, even if we say that he wasn't doing those things, that information was there. And it was certainly on his radar to consider. I think it might have been something as you, say Steve, that was right at the end of his career. That he was trying to, to do those, maybe those last one or two things, especially in terms of uh, steroids and, and performance enhancing drugs, just to tip him over. And, it, and again, when we talk, he, he says a lot of his career was 227, 230, but there were certainly times when he was 240 plus and that he's heaviest with Dave Colombo, 257 on stage. You, go, you don't go from 227 to 257 or, or any, anywhere in between when a lot of your time is 227, 230. Without some extra stuff going in there, so even if he wasn't on his cycles all the time, there were certainly times I think he probably tried, as you say, the higher amounts of growth hormone. Certainly, the one the 1,200 milligrams of primo, if it wasn't legit primo, they probably got him legit primo, so that was certainly there. We know that for a fact, and I I would say it was a given that testosterone and the tren was in there, and especially this is just from the training, when the kind of training and mentality, and we've talked about some signs of mentality certain guys, including yourself, have had when you've used tren is it kind of like sort of let, let, let's go kick ass and at your strongest and in terms of your own response i think let's address that very very quickly your personal experience on train is a good example of i think how probably kevin responded so if you want to tell the audience when you've used train, how did you how was your mindset how was your attitude to the gym or whatever at that time?
0: yeah so trend of all the main steroids of all the main steroids definitely more androgenic on paper five times more androgenic five times more anabolic you know, on paper doesn't really necessarily translate to real life, but my gosh, I mean, trend is, is nothing like anything else. So it throws off, you know, dopamine receptors in your head. It makes you just an animal. Like it's so powerful. You're never going to get as strong once you use trend as you would off of trend. It's just an amazing, amazing story. So no doubt this trend was as big a part of the nineties um, cool. physiques as H and insulin was, it was, it just was. And another thing that trend does mobster, it's like insulin. It's, it creates a environment where your muscles become sponges to everything that you eat. So the question then becomes,
1: if this is you and this is how you are on trend, what's a hyper responder like Kevin going to be like, what's the guy that's got the, 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 the receptors and the ability to absorb and, and and facilitate the use of trend and other drugs like that is a hyper responder if it's a guy out there with his genetic abilities and his predisposition for muscle growth and nutritional uptake how's this guy if comparing yourself who's used trend I haven't so I'm asking you otherwise I'll give my own example how's a hyper responder going to be like on trend it's just going to be yeah
0: and then add to that the ACH. I've never ran trend with ACH, but I think that running trend with ACH in the nineties also was a big, big factor because the ACH will cause your blood sugar levels to spike, and the trend will cause your blood sugar levels to come back down. If you ever notice when you run trend you get hypoglycemic, you you need carbs before bed, you wake up in the middle of the night in a sweat, in a cold sweat. You're like, oh my God, what's going on? Well, it's because trend just literally sucks everything like a sponge. So it's like, you have to eat when you're on it. So it makes sense to run HGH with the trend and on top of it, running the insulin on top of that is just, I can't imagine like what kind of results he would have gotten, but again, like a normal person sitting at home, you'll probably end up getting a stroke and you'll probably end up getting fat if you follow this type of protocol, but you really have to know what you're doing and have the genetics.
1: I I know from, from various forums and even stuff via Facebook or wherever else, the, the old joke of up the trend, if you're, up, if you're struggling in training, up the trend. If you're struggling in this situation, up the trend. So it's a kind of a joke. And in reality, of the situation is these guys have done cycles sometimes a little bit too young, uh, but they've done cycles and, and they want to take the next step. And someone introduces them to a, one of the forms of trend, trend infinite in this particular example, and lo and behold, it's become like the nectar of the guts. So, you know, they go, the only way I can do this progress, the only way I can get this strength in the gym, etc., is, is by using trend. We know trend is one of the few drugs where you can actually have uh, mental issues. It uh, gives a similar side effect uh, if we've long-term use even at low dosage to uh, senile dementia, early onset dementia in, in a couple of studies of older older athletes. Uh, so again, this is something, another advantage that Kevin would have had with the short-term use uh, coming off everything, not training et cetera between competitions. So high use during that training, and then lots of time at six to nine months of the rest of the year off which would be great. So I don't think, again, it's, again, it's this response specifically, if the average guy that goes to the gym and it has a bit of an ability to build some muscle, and I can think of a few examples in my mind, i seen people make these comments, 220, 230 pounds, normal height, so five five ten, five eleven. and Trent's been absolutely amazed, and I love this stuff, I love the gold colour, etc., etc. But they're not hyper-responders like Kevin. They're not hyper risk but they're not going to blow the fuck up and come back from looking like a skinny normal dude up to some freak that's going to win or place second at the Military Olympia or win an Arlo Classic or does well on our tours as as Kevin does. And when you when you have that response, when you have that ability, and you are able to do those things, I would—he was hundred percent going to be one of those guys that's going to be able to. Uh, have no issues with regards to getting fat. We know what he looked like on stage. There's very few shows where he was out of shape. So he's going to be his response to all the steroids is going to be amazing. His response to his training is going to be amazing. His response to nutrition is going to be amazing. And having training there, apart from maybe, as I said earlier on, the effect of his mood, the mindset of <laughs> the idea in which he talks about himself having the guns around him on the floor, not even sleeping on the bed and going to battle in the gym and having a certain particular attitude. Maybe he's one of those guys that was training in the gym. When, especially when he owned the gym, you didn't want to talk to him. Don't talk to me, motherfucker. I'm busy. I'm fucking doing this shit. You, you, you're not even whatever. And that's probably a little bit where the aggressive uh, mentality comes from from certain uses. And trend is one of those drugs that can sometimes, for some people, turn him into that kind of situation. You, you're adding to that the simple fact and uh, that, that uh, any of us that have competed, whether it's a powerlifting or, or strongman or grip or whatever that I do, that we're vaguely serious about what we want to do, uh, you have to have a bit of a mental shift anyway and that's without drugs you have to be right this is what i need to do this is the asses i need to get these are the names i need to take that's the fucking trophy that's gonna have my name in it and that's an attitude right there and then you're putting training to the mix so yeah it's, it's going to be one of those things where some guys we're not just a physical response not just a glycemia or the sweats or, or the train cough or whatever else, but literally how strong you feel in the gym, how you're going to go and tear that place down. You're going to pull down the pillars of the temple. No one's going to, uh, this is the trophy's already got your fucking name on it, and no one else is going to take that damn thing away from you. And Trent's going to facilitate to some degree that kind of response mentally as well as the physical stuff that's out there. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the only thing I would say in terms of the suggested cycle that we, we talk about here is the wind stroll. Do, would you, don't you think the that wind stroll has the effect? I would want to watch in terms of the drying out not so much of my my, my physique my muscles but the joints uh, the 200 milligrams a day that we suggest that would be 1400 milligrams a week there steve
0: uh, so yeah. I, I mean don't you think though these bodybuilders they don't lift super heavy when they're close to competition no, they, they no. more do lighter weights they're trying to you know kind of shape up and so i think I mean, when, you
1: know, I mean, I mean, Guys, and maybe this is where the, the, the peck injury came in, because as you said, I agree 100%. 1,400 milligrams of straw a week. If I was doing that or you were doing that, we would we, probably be creaking as we walk around. Our joints would not like us. But again, Kevin's that sort of guy that can get away with this stuff. We know that he was lifting crazy heavy weights because, again, those videos that I'm referring to, he looked lean. He looked in shape. So he was... If, and I'm agreeing, I think he probably did use this, even if it wasn't at 1,400 milligrams a week, I would be worried. And something else we want to address very quickly with regards to steroids, even maybe that pec injury. So the reason why a lot of guys get had, especially in those days, pec injuries, is, and, and because of Kevin taking his time off, it's probably one mistake. If you don't train or you train moderately, and then you introduce steroids. Sometimes what happens your muscles grow quicker than the connective tissue. Now, if he's benching 500, 580 pounds on a bench press and he spent nine months a year not even in the gym, he's had nine months for his connective tissue to to, to weaken. It won't have weakened dramatically. he doesn't become like one tenth of the strength or anything silly like that. But in terms of his response to training and nutrition and storage, when he's gone back to the gym for those three months prep for a competition, the muscles are going to hyper respond way quicker than the connective tissue. And so what we used to see back in the days, guys would blow up and tear, it, whether it was a bicep, whether it was a, a shoulder. and a, a lot of pec tears, if I, as I seem to recall around that time, Steve, that was in that, that the case we used to see a lot of guys doing heavy bench press, which again is not a thing that a lot of guys do now. A lot of heavy weight specifically. And of course, if they were doing what Kevin was doing, taking much less steroids off season or none in his particular case, and then coming back, the issue of returning to the gym and gaining that strength and muscle size so quickly makes that the connective tissue hasn't had a chance to catch up. And indeed, Dane Palumbo actually says, if you look at the guys that was beating him or, or started to beat him, and again, we're talking about Ronnie Common. Ronnie likes to lift. Ronnie's training now after how many, was it 11 operations? He's got a guy, Dave, Dave says quite correctly, will train all the time. He says that's probably the one consistency mistake that he made. He says, I kind of almost wish that you had trained more, even if it was only six or eight months of the year and had two or three months off, to see what he said. I think you would have been Mr. Olympia. So it's one of those things. That might might be a reason why he blew his peck then. And I think the only other thing in terms of his injuries, etc., where the time off actually probably helped a little bit, is that when he got to 50 plus and he decided he was going to to become back to the Mr. Olympia, and he did look pretty good, um, was the knees that required an operation. And in fact, just on that particular point, and just to finish here, Steve, it, there was thing where we, the one thing that probably uh, was stood out in people's minds was Kevin doing a pose down during a press, press conference, shirt off, and I can't remember, I think it was, it was a Gunther camp, and there's the two of them with their shirts off in amongst the other guys all sitting there with their, their track suits or their shirts and ties on or whatever suits and uh, standing in the middle stairs with sean ray and pop chicharillo and you're thinking this guy's in his 50s he looks pretty fucking damn good and again assassin and one of the great things about his pector was i don't believe it was it had those kind of indentations just inside his uh his pector uh delta in anyway. so he didn't look uh, apart from just after the operation like he'd had a pector which was very useful and again that time off the rest of the year is going to help with that particular regards and if we were talking about performance and hearts and drugs again both the knees and the pecs i'd probably throw in some peptides now don't you think so to to help with the recovery for the injuries and and, and the wear and tear on the knees yeah
0: That's so let's let's talk about when he came back when he came back you know that was 13 years later they had learned a lot in that 13 years i think the peptide use no doubt um now i think 100%. i think guys were messing around with the um the ghrps the ghrhs um and maybe lowering their hgh to save some money because those those will kind of those will give you the same I mean, results. And they're much cheaper if you're able to find legit peptides i also think you know at a later age too maybe he listened to some of those guys like dave palombo maybe he listened to some of the other older guys and dial back his steroid use a little bit, dial back his training, and I think in the end it worked out for him. I don't think that if he would have kept the same strategy, he would have made the top twenty when he came yeah, in the fifties. So I wonder if he he lowered trend, maybe add in added in some primo. Uh, maybe so twelve hundred milligrams of primo is not that bad when it comes to side effects and symptoms so i'm just curious if he kind of went more old school and he went back to more of an 80s cycle rather than falling within the 90s I what do want you to think? ask
1: you a quick question steve because you're more of an expert on these things than i am uh, as the fact I'm, I'm the right age but you're more of an expert in terms of the advice would you if you for example had competed as kevin did in his 30s you you would choose to do a different approach as a 50 year old bodybuilder it is a thing as a lot of the guys on the forums take this thing where we there's this idea which is not always true that you need to take more and more steroids in order to still get responses and still grow and you and i have talked about this a million times we say listen guys if, if more and more steroids is the approach there will be 500 pound bodybuilders on stage that's not how your body works there is a limit you don't know what those limits are until you hit the limit So here's the thing again, right? What you're able to do when you're 20 and how your body responds when you're 20 and when you're 30 and when you're 40 years of age is not the same as when you're 50. So I I think for me, um, this is my view. I see what you think. There is no need to take grams and grams of gear because you're an older bodybuilder versus how you would respond uh, physically in terms of your muscularity, in terms of your strength. The cycle X works really well when you're 30. But in terms of your body's ability to filter out the effects of steroids vis-a-vis your liver and your kidneys, et cetera, your liver and your kidneys are 40 or 50 years old. So throwing two or three grams at it when you're 50 years of age is not gonna work. It's it's, it's, it's gonna really stress your body and your, your ability to respond healthily to grams and grams of gear. This is why you don't get guys like Boston, Lloyd and others No one is 50 years of age and saying, I'm on five grams a week. If they are, they're a fucking moron. So I suspect you're right. I think that Kevin would not have been on grams and grams a week, not doing the big cycles that the other guys, the younger guys that were with him at that press conference and competing with him on stage. If they're on three and a half, four runs, five grams a week, he is not as a 50-year-old bodybuilder coming back to the Mr Olympia stage. Now, of course, he's going to give away 20 or 30 pounds, but he was giving away 20 or 30 pounds when he was on stage with Ronnie. He was giving away 20 or 30 pounds when he was on stage with, with um, uh, uh, Dorian. Unfortunately, he's given away 20 or 30 pounds to 90% of the guys that he's on stage with when he comes back as a 50-plus as lifter. But certainly, I don't think he would have been on a lot of gear because your ability to deal with the stresses on your body with uh, large amounts of steroids, it's that much harder when you're a 50 plus year old lifter. I mean, just like I said, the, the, the filtering out for the system for your liver and your kidneys. Don't you think so, Steve? It's not a good idea to be using grams and grabs of gear when you're a, an older lifter.
0: Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, cause uh, antibiotic steroids are inflammatory in the body. So, I mean, if I could go back, I, I never ran much uh, steroids but- anyway. Um, but if I could go back, the one thing I would do less would, would be training. I would, I overtrained a lot. I was doing too many one, two, three rep lifts. I was doing too many uh, cleaning and jerks and, and militaries and shoulder presses and hammering away at my body a little too much. So I think that's, that's what I would have changed. And I did the same thing when I competed as an endurance athlete. I hammered my body too much the same way. And it, it, it bit me on that, too. So that's just the way I am. I do everything, you know, over train everything. And I, that's, I think, what, what I would have done. I think I would have learned train more efficiently. Now I know to train more efficiently um, in that it's less important how much you do rather than doing it properly. I mean, just some of these compound lifts, these jerk movements and stuff, they're not good. I mean, they're not good for your spine. They're not good for your neck. They're not good for your back. So I think when you get older, you realize that this, the jerking motions and you've got to just be smooth when you when you weight train, if you we, want to. We, we make a point
1: on the forums of asking the guys' ages for a couple of reasons here, people, for, for the benefit of our listeners. We do it specifically for the younger guys that are convinced that they need to take loads of steroids and you go, hang on, you haven't actually physically matured yet. You haven't emotionally matured yet. You, you shouldn't be doing a shitload of steroids when you're 20 and – christ we just saw one in the last couple of days who's uh, on trt or trt dose and he's like 22 sorry guy if you're not actually uh, gone to the doctor or an endocrinologist and uh, seen someone and they said this and your just levels of shit you could be on trt at 22 then what the fuck are you doing so that's that's bitch slap number one bitch slap number two is what i'm saying in regards to the older lifters so what steve says about training is 100 true Been there, seen there, done that, done the foolish shit. That's why we tell you these things and try to get you on the right path. Don't do some of the crazy stuff that we've done, but we understand why and we understand, you know, the drive and the obsessiveness and wanting to be like that. And that's the way we've done the stupid stuff, but you don't have to do the same stupid stuff as we did. And you can benefit from not having aching joints and and torn up shit and whatever else when you get older. But again, what I'm really getting at here is the older guys, and I'm talking about 40 plus, typically a, a, a man physically matures and emotionally matures for that matter, about age 35 when you start taking on responsibilities like mortgages and wives and girlfriends and kids and all the rest of that, so physically it's around the same if you train, you're going to probably maximise your strength at around age 40, now your ability to handle performance enhancing drugs changes as you get older, your, your ability when you're late 20s, which is when we think you should start using steroids if you're going to use them, later the better, versus your ability when you were 50 or 50 prices Kevin was, is different And so I'm saying, again, 100% here, I think Kevin would have been using uh, half of the amount of gear of the rest of the guys that was in the Olympia lineup when he returned to the stage, because for two reasons. First off, he knows what works. Well, three reasons. First off, he knows what works. He's a hyper-responder, which is the second reason. And finally, as I said, the ability to handle the side effects, the ability for your body to filter all this stuff out, the stress on the system, the inflammatory response of Steve Rispens, is that much harder to deal with when you're 50 plus years of age. But all that said, the, the the pose down that he did, the informal pose down that he did with Gunnar, showed a fantastic upper body, pretty fucking good for someone who's in his early uh, early 50s. And he got, I, remember, I believe he got a standing ovation at the Olympia, he was able to come back, show the guys that it wasn't not to, you know, he can't ignore me. I don't, th- I don't think he placed anywhere worth a mention. He, he came last, he was a tied for last place, 15th place but he got a standing ovation uh, from from the audience because they were they were blown away he still looked pretty fucking good he looked like he used to or just under what he used to look to back in the day bearing in mind he hadn't been on stage for 13 years and it's only that bodybuilding had taken another couple of steps forward and as I said, that 90% of the guys he was on stage with were bigger than him, whereas in the old days, it was literally just the guy that was going to win the competition that was bigger. So that, that's where that's where things have changed. If he'd upped the amount of steroids to try and keep up with the modern guys, I don't think he'd done himself more harm than, than good in terms of his uh, genetic response and adding muscle and whatever else. And he probably would have ruined his physique as well because, you know, just putting another 10 pounds on doesn't necessarily improve how you're going to look on stage. And he proved that by how he did look on stage. He, he, he looked pretty fucking good for, for a guy of his age. What do you think, Steve?
0: Yeah, I think he hit the nail on the head. I'd be curious to know what I would be curious to know, and that's something that we'll never know, but I'd be curious how his insulin HGH trend protocol changed from the yeah. 90s to 13 years later. That's that's where I want to know the switch, and I also want to know his cleanse, Change did he just abandon clan when he got older. I'd want to know, you know, those things, and those are things we can speculate on. I i really think that he probably went heavy on the HGH, more so as old- maybe, yeah, and then less on the insulin, and maybe completely eliminated the clan. I I you know, I that's that's what I would want to know uh, what he actually did. So and maybe we could speculate on, on that, guys, and you guys can definitely post on the thread on evolution.org and give us your thoughts of what he did. And that does it guys. We are well over time on this one, but hope you enjoyed it for Steve Smee and the mobster. We're going to do another episode next week. You want to give them a little hint about the guy we're doing next week, mobster. You'll have to remind me. <laughs> <Huh? Okay. laughs> give me yeah. a hint. forgot. <laughs> little... He's a, uh... well, I, I, I believe he's from the, Either East Europe or the Middle East. I I can't remember his ethnicity. Uh, William Bonac. I'll, I'll just give you the name. Ah
1: uh, yeah yeah yeah. I I, I think it's he has got a little bit of uh, uh, black European in 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 there. Uh, Belgian, I think. Okay. So, yeah. I thought he, he was, was,
0: I thought he was can- from Middle East. Okay
1: i deserve I, I just think it's uh well we'll know by this time next week people <laughs> we'll have done our research he's on the list i guess i haven't looked at him yeah. properly yet
0: he's uh it says here he's from ghana so i was i was close so northern africa let's put it that way yeah so i guess that's kind of close we're kind of in between so <laughs> yeah, we'll check that out, William Bonac, and he's an up-and-coming guy. He's really made a lot of waves the last couple of years. So that'll be an interesting one to, to talk about. So we'll talk to you guys next week, guys. Take care.
1: Uh-huh.